0: Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here with us this morning. Moving in and through the scriptures read, the prayers offered, the praises sung. Surround our hearts in the silent moments too, and reassure us of your holy presence. Amen. Throughout the season of Lent, we've been doing this series about asking questions. Is this the fast that I choose? To whom will you listen? Are you able to think back to the beginning of Lent? It was six weeks ago. Uh, How do we begin again? Will you give me a drink? Who sinned? Can these bones live? And where are you headed? of all the questions in our series, this one remains the most unanswerable. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me, forgotten me? It is fascinating and gut-wrenching to me that in both Matthew and Mark's account, Of the crucifixion, Jesus dies in the interrogative mood. His biblical scholar, Dale Bruner, poignantly notes, Jesus died not with some triumphant exclamation or declaration or proclamation, but with a question trembling on his lips. Jesus died the way a lot of people die, maybe the way all People die. He died asking, why? Brunner goes so far as to say that this final question from Jesus is the gospel at its deepest, revealing better than any other sentence in the New Testament who Jesus is and what he does. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus does not quietly slip away, nor does he treat death the way Socrates is reported to have done. Namely, welcoming death as a much longed-for release from the prison house of the body. Jesus dies kicking and screaming. Jesus dies wondering why. Why it had to happen. Well... The Heidelberg Catechism asks the question, why did Jesus have to go all the way to death? Yes, of course, there will be something in there about sin management, which is a bigger discussion. But the bottom line is that if the incarnation is to be believed, if the incarnation is to be believed, that is, that God took on flesh and bone and became a human being, then yes, Jesus had to die. Had Jesus found a way to beam off this planet in a way that would have neatly sidestepped any kind of death, then he could not be considered just like you and me after all, and the incarnation would be a lie. Jesus had to leave this world via death for the same reason he couldn't get into this world without exiting a woman's womb, because that's how all people get here. Jesus had to die For the same reason, he had to drink water to stay hydrated. And for the same reason, he got hungry. For the same reason, he had to close his eyes and sleep after a long day of preaching and teaching. Because in Jesus, the Son of God had entered the entirety of human existence and experience. Why did Jesus have to go all the way to death? Because he was fully human. But that's not really the question being asked on the cross, is it? The question isn't a technical one. It's a theological one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Look for the thing behind the thing. Dig deeper The central problem this question asks is not why he must die or why God allowed it to happen, but rather where is God in the midst of suffering? This is the truest experience of solidarity between God and humankind. Where are you? Those who go through meaningless suffering always feel abandoned by God. In his heavy tome, The Crucified God, German scholar Jürgen Moltmann writes, On the cross, God is forsaken by God so that he can become the God of the God-forsaken. That is, the cross becomes the lightning rod the gathering point for all the suffering and God-forsaken ones since the beginning of time. This is solidarity with humanity in its deepest sense. Jesus is now the brother of all those who experience the apparent God-forsakenness of meaningless suffering. In our darkness of abandonment and desolation, we find as our companion a God who was abandoned And desolate. And there's the heart of the gospel. If God suffers with us, then pain no longer has the power to alienate. If God suffers with us, then we are never, ever truly alone in our grief. There is now a camaraderie, a fellowship a community that emerges when we suffer simply because God in Christ has chosen to stand shoulder to shoulder with those who are victimized and in pain. As he was in his prison cell awaiting execution, during Hitler's reign of terror, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote these simple words, only a suffering God can help. On the cross, the second person of the Trinity experiences physical death. Yes, that is an inevitability of the incarnation. But just as importantly, and perhaps more importantly, he experiences the abandonment we all feel at some point in our lives. Where are you, God, in my suffering? Where are you? in the suffering of my loved one. Where are you, God, in the pain and injustice experienced by people all over the world? Right there, in it, right in the thick of it. God has the audacity to penetrate right into our experience of abandonment, pain, and suffering. Because God experienced this abandonment, pain, and suffering on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I have been trying for years, this is how I'll be remembered. I have been trying for years to correct the overemphasis on substitutionary atonement. That is the theology that Jesus died to take away our sin. It's not that that is a wrong understanding of the cross at all. It's just that the church has put all of its eggs into that Easter basket without realizing that it is only one theory, one of many theories about the cross, and frankly, it's not even the most compelling one. To oversimplify substitutionary atonement, we might say something like, uh, humanity is sinful, which makes God mad, so we are condemned to die, Unless a pure sacrifice can be made in our place. So enter Jesus. Jesus takes the heat in our stead. And in him, all of our yucky sin is defeated and God is appeased and we are saved. That's a bit crass, I know. But it works. It's like a slick equation. And so we hang on to it for dear life. It is clean. It fits in the box. But what most Christians don't realize is that this is only one of many ways of understanding the cross, and in fact, it has not always been the most compelling one in our 2,000 years of Christian history. What does this simple salvation equation have to say that is even remotely comforting to the parent watching their child die in a hospital bed, or to the woman fleeing an abusive partner Or the teen being bullied by authorities because of their gender or the color of their skin. Or to the adult child, watching their parent disappear into the fog of dementia. Well, in my experience, pastorally, not a whole lot. Which is why the life of faith gets relegated just to an hour at church. It feels irrelevant to the pain and suffering of real life Monday to Saturday. So, what if instead of defaulting to the clean cut equation of substitutionary atonement, we spent more time with a the theology of solidarity? We do it at Christmas time without even thinking about it. We preach and we pray and we praise Emmanuel, the God who is with us. What if we did that same thing on Good Friday? What if we looked at the one gasping for breath, the one whose flesh is maimed and bruised and bleeding, and saw in him Emmanuel, the God who is with us, with us in our fear and pain and abandonment, This is a theology of solidarity. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is the brother of the God forsaken. But this is not what he became on the cross. It's what he's always been. We just never understood. Maybe we never will. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, God, in my suffering? Right here. Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus' final lament gives voice to all those who have been forsaken. Those who suffer injustice those who are abandoned, those who unjustly are convicted. And so I wonder if instead of trying to answer this question with logic or even a theological equation, we just actually sit with it. Uncomfortable as that is, a little rough around the edges, messy, Letting it unearth and unveil more questions. What do we do in the face of unimaginable suffering? Can we sit in the silence of death and trust that God is there? Can we allow ourselves to feel the fullness of loss? Will we be in solidarity with those who suffer and grieve? What will we say with our last breath? This is the heart of the gospel, and it is the most important question. On this Good Friday, let us not rush to Easter joy without first sitting with the pain and despair and lament of the day, because this This is where the work is done. This is where God declares solidarity with creation in the suffering, Emmanuel, God with us. This is not yet the resurrection story, tempting as it is to introduce a triumph at the end. It isn't there in the reading. It isn't for today. Don't rush it. Okay, fine, if you don't tell anyone, I'll mention the resurrection this morning just a little bit. Shh. Let me close by saying this in defense of a theology of solidarity. When Jesus appears to his disciples in the upper room after his resurrection, his friends do not immediately recognize him. And we're not entirely sure why. Does the resurrected form appear differently? Does it glow a bit? I don't know. Does it vibrate differently? Probably. I'm not sure. Nobody is. But do you recall how they do recognize him? Do you remember how Thomas insists on validating his belief? When they see and touch his wounds. There is something so important, so fundamental, so vital to Christ's suffering with us that even when he is resurrected, his wounds remain. A reminder to us, perhaps, that this solidarity, this sharing in our grief and our pain, even to the point of death and beyond. This is what makes this day good. To God be all the glory. Amen.